0: May your presence fall in this place. May your word come to life this morning. May I decrease and you increase. We've come to hear the voice of God this morning, Lord. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I shared last week, it was my first Sunday back from sabbatical, uh, six weeks to kind of get away and to refocus, Uh, and last week I I said we're gonna start sharing some lessons from sabbatical. The first lesson last week was on anxiety. If you guys remember talking about this anxiety that we all deal with, and and kinda how it doesn't mesh with what we find in scripture, because we're called to be a people of what? Peace. Yet we struggle with anxiety at the same level and at the same rate that the world does, and going, there's a disconnect there. And so we started looking at the relationship of anxiety with the promise of peace. This week, I want to look at a second lesson, the lesson of rest. I shared last week, as I started to slow down on sabbatical, this anxiety started to come to the forefront, I don't, it's not like it created the anxiety. The anxiety was there, but as I slowed down, I became way more aware of it. And so as I began to seek the Lord over this anxiety that was there, I just keep getting, I kept getting one word, rest. I would come to the Lord and I'd go, all right, Lord, like here's here's all the stuff that I want to do over sabbatical. Here's all the things I want to get done over sabbatical. And the Lord just kept saying, rest. And I would go, yeah, 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 but what else, too? And I would get rest. And I really began to struggle with rest. So I want to do, real quick, just look at some scriptures on rest because there's no reason why I should have been surprised that God spoke rest to me. He has been doing it from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. God had just completed creation. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. From the very beginning, God has modeled rest for us. Listen, there's a lot of different views on creation and some of you hear like seventh day and you're going, yeah, it was seven literal days. Some of you are like, no, it was longer and that's an allegory. Like, please don't get caught up in your view of creation. That's not the point right now. I personally, I believe in seven literal days. If you disagree with me, God bless you. We can still partner together. Doesn't cause me any troubles in the least. So don't get caught up on, wait, 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 that creation thing, what did that look like? Point being, on the seventh day, At the end of creation, whatever that looked like, God chose to rest. Did God need to rest? Was he just tuckered out? No. All of that speaking the world into existence stuff was just plain hard, and he needed to kick back for a little bit? Not at all. He wasn't taxed in the least, which, I mean, blows our tiny little minds. But he chose to rest, not because he needed it, because he knew we would need it. He modeled rest for us from the very beginning. And he called that day holy as a reminder that we have been called to rest like the Lord rests. This is from the very beginning. And then he even takes it a step further because people kind of weren't really getting it. And so he moved from just modeling it to then he began to command rest. In, In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the Ten Commandments. These were like the big 10 rules from God. Every other rule kind of fell somewhere under the big 10. And one of them was this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, the foreigner within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested On the seventh, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. He he modeled it. It was part of the story that they all knew, but they weren't doing it, and so he had to come and command it to them. Now, listen, I'm not going to be too harsh on the ancient Israelites because they just came out of 400 years of slavery of Egypt. When they were given this command, I don't think they were given a day off as slaves. So they they just had this work every day mentality. And God had to come and reinforce it and go, you've heard the story, but you forgot it. Now I'm commanding you, don't work on the seventh day. It is a day to rest just like God did. And, and it wasn't even just the people. God actually commanded rest for the whole earth. Over in Leviticus 25, he says, but there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, the seventh year, a Sabbath to the Lord. And you are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your unintended vines. It must be a year of complete rest for the land. God said, everything that I have created needs rest. There's these rhythms of rest when we just look at the seasons. Winter is meant to be a time of rest. Things stop growing in winter. The days get shorter. We're meant to sleep when it's dark. And there's a lot more dark in the winter So we put on some hibernation weight and we should take a nap. There's these rhythms that are built in. Some of you get it, yeah. There's these rhythms that are built in. We can see them all around us, but for some reason, we kind of don't think they apply to us at times. Or we think they're for other people maybe, but not for me. We struggle against rest. It has been modeled. It has been commanded of us. And listen, these examples that I've given you so far are old covenant examples. What I mean by that, everything in your Bible before the book of Matthew was God speaking specifically to the ancient people of Israel. And he said, I've got this covenant, this deal that I've worked out with them. Here's what they're to do and here's what they can expect from me. They weren't good at doing their part. And so things were going pretty poorly. And so God has said, okay, it's time to put that covenant, those promises aside And when Jesus comes at the beginning of the book of Matthew, everything from there to the end of your Bible is called the New Testament, the new covenant. God says, I have a new way of working with my people. So something's really like drastically shifted from the old covenant to the new covenant, but rest was not one of those things. Rest didn't shift. Our need for it, God's desire for us to rest didn't shift. Jesus was questioned all the time about the Sabbath because He would actually heal people on the Sabbath, which made them so mad. And they would come and they go, you don't even believe in the Sabbath. You don't even believe in rest. And here was Jesus' response to them. He then told them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let me me explain that really quickly. They came and went, there is this law, and we exist to fulfill the law. And the Sabbath being one of those laws. And Jesus said, no, 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 you have it twisted. God created you and knew that you would need rest, so he created the Sabbath. The Sabbath was actually a gift that God created for his creation. I mean, think about like, we hear the Sabbath and we're like, oh, who has time? It's, I'm so busy, I'm so whatever. We have a good God who says, sit down and put your feet up. Take a nap, read a book. I mean, stop working and we fight it. Sabbath has been modeled for us. Rest has been commanded to us. It has been gifted to us. So let me ask this question. Let's talk a little bit. If rest is so important, we better have a pretty good handle on it, right? So what contributes to good, meaningful rest? Is it just getting enough sleep? Is it just watching enough TV? I mean, what contributes to good, meaningful rest? There's a lot of different answers. I'm not looking for like that one thing. You got to get it right. Just shout it out. Quiet, no anxiety. Okay, a comfortable couch. couch. I ain't never heard a thing. Okay. What else? What contributes to good rest? Trust. Trust. Okay. There has to be like it has to be a safe space so that I can rest. I have to to be able to trust that I can lay my burdens down and it's going to be okay. Okay? There has to be a willingness to rest. If you're not willing, to, you're not going to get good rest. Okay? Yeah, no you don't get good rest on accident. There has to be a willingness. You have to be kind of intentional and in moving towards it. Okay? Great. Okay, good meaningful work the other 6 days. Like, I'll tell you what, I've never slept so good as a, after a hard day's work. You know what I mean? Rest is meant to be partnered with good, meaningful work. There was something else over here. Math? Slowing down. Slowing down. It's hard to rest at a breakneck pace. In fact, it's impossible. And that includes probably our minds, too. Because can slow down. Sure. Yeah. And that's not very slow. Yeah, the, the slowing down doesn't just mean like, stopping doing things, because some of the reasons that we don't slow down physically, that we keep so much on our calendars, is because when I start to slow down, my mind picks up speed, and I'm not comfortable with that, so I'd rather just keep busy. Okay, what else? Anything else? Make sure that your worries are not you before you lay down, you to try to rest. Okay. Yeah, it it is really hard to rest with that racing mind. And so we have to find some way to deal with those anxieties and stuff that we talked about last week. (laughs) I'm gonna go with food in a different direction, (laughs) But, but yes. Somebody said some quiet and alone. If you're an introvert, that is the picture of rest for you. If you're an extrovert, that's the picture of death for you. And so for some of us, rest looks like friends and food, and company. It's going to be different for each of us, but, and that's okay, but we have to learn what it is that we need in order to rest. But rest, and I think we know this, rest is not just physical. We've already said you can slow down, but sometimes like your mind is racing. There's this mental aspect to it. My thoughts, I'm, I'm kind of fixated on doing this, on getting that, on whatever. Rest is physical. Rest has a mental component to it. And I hope we would agree with this. Rest is spiritual. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. This was the passage we looked at to start all of our services last month in October. Jesus teaching and he says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus was promising them rest. Was he promising them that they would sleep really well that night? He actually told them, look, guys, foxes have their dens and birds have their nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head. This is what he told his disciples. I can't promise you you're going to get a good night's sleep. How often do we read in the stories that where were the disciples in the middle of the night? Rowing a boat in the middle of a storm. Not the most restful place, right? Jesus was not talking about purely physical rest or even rest just from their worries. He was offering them, promising them spiritual rest. Rest in the deepest parts of who they are. So let me ask this question, because I see some heads shaking. Most of this, hopefully, is not brand new information to you. You've heard it before. If it has been modeled, commanded, gifted, promised to us, why do we struggle so much with rest? We are not known as a restful people. We're known as busy, we're known as worriers. We looked at last week, we're known as, as anxious people. If it's been so clearly laid out, commanded, gifted to us, Why do we struggle with rest? What was it? Okay. Yeah, we live in a hustle culture. We live, we are known by what we do. What's the first thing you ask somebody after you ask them their name? What What do you do? Not, so how do you rest? What didn't you do yesterday? We don't ask that question. We're known for what we do. There's this hustle culture. You've got to keep moving. You can't take time off. You'll get left behind. Okay. If it comes back, let me know. Well, even as kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we need their job. Yeah. Think about how sweet that would be. If you talk to your little kid and you go, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they go, a man of God. It would be like, whoo, okay. Like, but we ask it, meaning, what do you want to do for your profession? How are you going to make money? How are you going to get known? What are you going to do to bring meaning to your life? This is, it's kind of all behind that question. This is the culture that we live in. We know, we've been told, that's not what we're to value. That's not what's to drive us, Right? We just looked at a couple pretty clear passages and there's way more, but we still struggle. We feel like we have to what? Okay, we feel we feel like we have to do it all. We love control. And guess what I guess what I can't do when I'm resting, be in control. Part of rest is to give up control, which is just a tough thing for us. Why else? Why do we struggle with rest? Okay, Okay. read read the book of Proverbs. You're going to find that like there's some, some pretty strong things in the word against laziness. But here's the thing, in our culture, the worst thing you can be is lazy. And so we live almost in so much of a fear of that. I don't know that there's too many in this room that would actually find themselves lazy if they sat down. But we're kind of so scared of it, it drives us. 'Cause there there is this tension. Like I said, there's there's plenty of passages that talk about the sluggard and the lazy man, and none of it's good. And so there's this tension we have to hold. I saw a couple hands over here. Yeah. We don't prioritize. Okay. We don't prioritize. Or, or I would say we do, we don't do it well. Yeah. Our priorities are out of whack. Okay. There's a principle that's true in life across many areas, and it goes like this. What gets celebrated gets repeated. Okay, the things that we celebrate, people see, and they go, I want to be celebrated, and so they do those things, right? We as a culture celebrate workaholism. We celebrate the people who sacrifice their families, who sacrifice their hobbies, who sacrifice their rest for the sake of their work. We write books about them. Movies get made about them and what gets celebrated gets repeated. And so we go, I guess I need to do that too. Anthony? The nature of the work in this country well actually all over the world has changed dramatically since the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. Before that, most work was home based Sure. And so now, the damage that you do and the need for rest is so much more dramatic because your work takes you away from the history of the Sure, sure. For, for the predominant uh, human history Work was a family thing. I would be a farmer, and my kids would go into the fields with me. And so even though it was a work from sunup to sundown thing, there was this family aspect. And like he's saying, over the last 100, 150 years, it has shifted where now home is here, work is there, and I have to choose between the two. And so it's even a different paradigm than what most of the world has known. We put too much on the list. We put too much on the list. He gets it, guys. Pick up the mic. Come on. Cheryl. I find that I struggle with rest because he is rest. So if I'm struggling, I'm struggling with him over something, I'm kind of rebellion. Okay. I'm disobedient. There's something that he's trying to shake out of me and I'm holding on. Okay. So in those seasons when Cheryl is struggling with rest, she's begun to identify rest is, a, is kind of a, a result of being with him. And so if I'm struggling with rest, I'm actually struggling with him. There's, there's some area where I'm kind of wrestling with God, and I am restless because of it. I think that one, we could point at a lot of different reasons. I think the main reason that we struggle with rest as followers of Jesus is because we have not correctly identified the source of rest. So, again, back to my sabbatical, week two out of six weeks, and the Lord starts saying, Rest. Now, just so you know how smart your pastor is, I fought him for four weeks, okay? I went, yeah, 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 and I could do this and this and this, and I would come back to him, and I would, I would just sense in my spirit, rest, and I would go, cool, I'll do that after I do this and this and this, and so as I started to try to like, take him more seriously and go, I think he wants me to get this, the more I began to focus on resting, the more anxious I would become, and it was this weird thing where I'm supposed to be resting. You remember, I would slow down. I would become, try to be more still, and this anxiety would start to come up, similar to what I talked about last week. I cleared my schedule, basically, for six weeks. I'm spending more time working on spiritual disciplines than I can during the normal course of life during this time. I'm spending more time in the Word. I'm spending more time in prayer. I'm chasing after rest the best way I know how, but I'm not experiencing it. I'm not sleeping that well during my sabbatical, but that's because of the anxiety that's coming up. For me, anxiety looks like racing thoughts. And so when I lay down, I'm at my stillest and I'm at my most quiet, and my mind goes, cool, now I have room to run, and just starts going. And so I'm physically tired, but I'm like, yeah, that's just the sleep, but like, the more I would chase it, it was almost like that sand or trying to grab water. The more I would chase after it, the more it would slip through my fingers. Just slowing down my schedule didn't result in rest. But listen, that's an important piece of it. We've already addressed that here today. I knew I wouldn't experience rest if I was just running at breakneck speed. But just slowing down my schedule in and of itself didn't produce rest. Just doing more spiritual disciplines, listen, and this sounds a little sacrilegious to us, just reading my Bible more and praying more didn't result in rest. As important as those things are, again, I don't believe you can have rest apart from them, but just doing more of those things didn't result in rest. The anxiety remains. I I was not experiencing the peace that I read about. I was not experiencing the rest that I read about. So I began to sit down and do some journaling. Journaling for me is like a, a last ditch effort. Nothing else has worked. I guess I'll try journaling. And so I'm just journaling through trying to identify, like. Where is the unrest coming from? What areas of my life am I experiencing restlessness or anxiety? And so I began to to write those things down and to pray about them. I, I tend to be a pretty orderly guy, so I was like, okay, if I've identified the problem, what am I gonna do about it? So I began to then write, here's some things that I could do differently. Here's some things that I could try in these areas that may bring rest. It sounds pretty smart, right? I was patting myself on the back for it as well. And then I wrote this sentence, and it stopped me in my tracks. I really need to work on that. And I went, wait. There is no way that work is the gateway to rest. What I mean by that is there is no way that I, in order to experience rest, I need to work harder. It just, it doesn't make sense, right? Again, not in a, I've worked for six days, and so I'm tired coming into my Sabbath. Like, that's a good thing, but this was... I have to do more so that I can rest. Stop me dead in my tracks. And I looked at those words and I thought, is that really what I believe? Is that really what has been driving me? There is no way that more work is the answer to rest. Listen, it can take some work to create space for rest. It takes some work to kind of clear your schedule, to slow things down. It is work to say no to things or to reprioritize things. I'm not saying work is bad. I'm not anti-work in any way. But there is no way that more work can earn me more rest. It just doesn't work like that. Working on resting will never help you achieve rest. Again, I don't think that we have correctly identified the source of rest. So once I, once I had that in my head of going, okay, work, working more to gain rest isn't the answer. Lord, what is? Go ahead. Okay. And that's just simple, right? Here's what I began to realize, and it goes right along with that. Rest is a function of grace. What I, what I mean by that is this. Grace is the source of Rest. True rest is a result of receiving grace. I'm just going to keep saying this in different ways, hoping it sinks in for somebody. If we desire to experience God's rest, then we must learn to receive his grace. Do you hear it? If we desire to, to receive rest, he doesn't say, well, then you better earn it. Grace is the source of rest. If we desire to experience God's rest, we must learn to receive his grace. Last week when I was talking about peace and anxiety and how these play against each other, we said, remember, peace isn't just something the Lord gives, he just like kind of throws out there to us, but it's a result of being near to him. Peace is something the Lord is. And so when we're near him, we experience his peace. When we're far from him, we experience anxiety. Rest and grace have a similar relationship. I am able to rest when I am able to receive grace from him. When I am not receiving grace, I am restless. What is the opposite of receiving grace? Or, let's start with this. What does grace mean? There's a couple working definitions that a lot of people are pretty familiar with. How would you define grace? A free gift? Unmerited favor. Grace, by its very definition, is unearnable, right? Work, by its very definition, is meant to earn. (coughs) We work to earn a paycheck. We work to make a living. We work to have this end result that we built, we worked toward. Work and grace, in the way that we tend to think about them, and we'll flesh this out a little bit, can really struggle against each other. Rest is a result of grace received. Grace, by its very definition, is unearnable. You can't work enough to deserve grace. It is a gift. It is always a gift. If it's anything less than that, it's no longer grace. We've got to call it something else. And listen, we know this in certain things. Like we would talk about salvation by grace, right? Yeah. We're all pretty familiar with salvation by grace. What passage would we turn to? Pop quiz. Ooh. Oh, we got this kid's Ooh. It is by grace, grace you have been through faith, 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 not of your soul. What is it? It is, 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 okay, we got there in the end. Kids, it's important for you to realize I didn't do that to you, Okay. That was, that was not in my notes. Yeah, we did send out most we of the kids. And then, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We understand the role of grace when it comes to salvation. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, or it is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. What can we do to earn salvation? Nothing. Come on, church, wake up. How hard do we need to work to grab a hold of salvation? Not at all. all. It is a free gift. It is God's grace to us. We have done nothing to earn it. We could do nothing to earn it. We get this, right? Most of you, if you had to stand up here and teach on this verse, you would be saying the same thing. It is God's gift. It is unearnable favor. We get this when it comes to salvation. We can't earn it. We can only receive it. Colossians 1:13 and 14 says this. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. What did we do to rescue ourselves? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, maybe at best we didn't fight against the person trying to rescue us. He did it all. He rescued us, he transferred us, he redeemed us and forgave us. It is grace. And we get this, right? Oh boy. As Christians, we love grace. We preach grace, but far too often we stop with saving grace. And what I mean by that is this. We would all stand up here and teach. It is by grace that you have been saved. But practically, most of us would say, now get to work. You've been transferred into the kingdom. Now you better get to work. There's work to be done. The king brought you in here because he's on a mission and there's work to be done. So get at it. Practically, functionally, most of us, like again, we would say salvation by grace, but then we would say sanctification by works. We have signs back there that Jesus is our savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. That word sanctifier or sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like him. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, from one version of glory to another, we become more like Jesus, but he doesn't say through our works because we earned it. He says it's by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Most of us believe and have believed on saving grace And then we said, okay, now that that grace thing is done, i got to roll up my sleeves and i got to get to work. Mavericks, did you have a thought? And listen, here's the thing. You can find some scriptures that sound like they would agree with that. One that I hear regularly, Ephesians 4, 1-3, Paul teaching here. He says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. You have been saved, redeemed, called out. Now live a life worthy of it. And for most of us, what we hear is get to work. God has saved you. Now prove to him that you were worth it. And listen, some of us might not ever say this out loud, but again, when you look practically at the way that we live, how many of you in here have ever struggled with, I'm just not good enough? Why would God save me? I'm just not good enough. I've struggled with it myself, and here is the message that I have for you. It might not be the message that you expect. You're right. You're not good enough. I am not good enough. The good news is not in the fact that, like, now we've done something where we deserve it or we should do something where we deserve it. Again, it's no longer grace if we deserve it. You are not good enough, and that should be the best news because you don't ever have to be good enough. I have been a father now for 17 years. I have received a lot of neckties and macaroni art and those kinds of things, and I love them because it's my children's way of showing me we love you, Dad, right? But imagine one day if one of them brought to me some macaroni art and said, I think we can call it even for this last year. I'd be like, what? I've, I've worked my fingers to the bone to make sure that like, you are well fed and you have everything you need and you think a piece of macaroni art covers it? Like, it would be ludicrous. This is how many of us approach Sanctification, living the Christian life. Hey, God, thanks for the gift of salvation. I think this ought to cover it. I've been pretty good this year. Or as if that's the goal. It's silliness. It would actually be offensive to me if my kids came and did that. When they're just coming and going, I love you so much, I just wanted to give you something, it's a beautiful gift that I receive. If they said, I I think I've earned it this year. Look at my report card, Dad. It would actually break my heart as a father. You, you thought you had to earn this from me? You thought you had to earn my love, my support, my walking with you? Like, I would feel so misunderstood as their dad, but this is how many of us treat our Heavenly Father. Thanks for the gift of salvation, I'm going to show you that I was worth it. And he said, no, 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 I already showed you that you were worth it while you were still suck, stuck in the mud pit of your sin. I already declared you worthy. Why are you trying to earn it now? Is this making sense, church, or am I just talking out loud here? I'm so thankful we have, where Paul teaches, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Three verses later, he doesn't want people to get it twisted. He says this, but each one of us, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He said, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And right about when they would have been going, but how do I do that? He would have been going, don't worry. God has given you grace to even live out the life that's worthy of the calling. It is all founded in grace. Grace and works have this tension all throughout the New Testament. Where you read like James and he says, faith without works is dead. And some hear it and go, okay, so I got I to gotta get working. But then you find Paul who goes, it's not about works at all. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And there's this tension, and I want to try to help solve it from you if you have ever been stuck in that place. Works are a fruit that come from grace. The fruit doesn't make the tree, right? It's the other way around. The tree makes the fruit, yes? The good works that we are meant to have, the worthy life that we are meant to live, is a fruit that grows from the tree of grace received. That is how this is meant to work. We are meant to be doing good works, but they're meant to be a fruit of the grace that we've received, not a way of earning the grace. So we understand this idea of saving grace. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. We get that. But over in Colossians, Paul then teaches this, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Another translation says, in the same way you received him, now live in him. Okay, wait, how did I receive him? By grace through faith. So how am I supposed to live in him? By grace through faith. I have nothing to earn from him. My value is not based on the work that I do. The love and provision from my heavenly father is not based on what I accomplish. It is his grace given to me it was on the very first day when i prayed to receive him and it has been every day since then dallas willard uh, a theologian you've heard me probably read this passage or this uh, quote before it says grace is not opposed to effort it is opposed to earning earning is an attitude effort is an action earning is trying to is is putting the fruit before the tree I'm going to do enough good works that I deserve grace. Effort is, I am so blessed by what I receive, how could I not live differently out of it? Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Our lack of rest that most of us feel is directly tied to our need to earn. We feel the need to earn from others, we feel the need to earn from the Lord, and so we are unable to rest. Because if I stop, then who am I? If I stop and this goes away, who am I then? We are in a a pattern of earning and that keeps us from grace. And the thing that will break us free from the pattern of earning is receiving the free gift of grace. Not just for salvation, though some in here may need to start there, but that every Day, I receive his grace. I, I have started writing. Uh, I have a journal where I keep like my to-do list for the week, and each day I break down, here's the things I need to accomplish today. And the very first thing that I've started writing is before you ever achieved a thing, your value was settled on the cross. Like I... I'm stupid, okay? Like we all are in some way. I need to get it through my thick head. And so, you know, the old things when you were bad in school and your teacher would have you go up and just write on the chalkboard enough times, hoping it would sink in? I'm basically treating myself that way. I write every day before you achieved a single thing, your value was settled on the cross. Which means now the list of things I have to do, none of them have to do with earning value, it's already been settled. Now I get to live out of grace and accomplish these things for my father. I get to work with my father, not for him in some way. Dallas Willard also has this quote. The true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. We have this idea that, again, grace is a salvation thing. I needed a whole bunch of it then, But as I grow in Christ, as I become holier, more the man and woman of God, shouldn't I need grace less? Because I'm becoming better, right? And so I should need less grace? He says it's the exact opposite. The more you realize who you are, the more you realize you need grace. And the more you accept grace, the more you grow in Christ. And you see yourself more as you are, and you go, oh, I'm even worse than I thought. I need more grace. And God's not up there going, really, more? He's going, you're getting it. I've been offering it to you the whole time, but as you grow, you begin to accept more grace. The true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. I love it. It is permission to take advantage of the free gift of grace that our Father gives us every day. You don't have to earn a single thing. There is always more grace. Does he ever run out? Does he have like this very limited supply and so he's miserly with it? Not at all. He offers us more grace than we could ever even hope to use in a day. But he offers it to us. And then guess what? His mercies are made new the next morning. He's got a fresh supply of it, waiting to pour it out on his people. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we're going to experience God's rest, then we must learn to receive his grace more and more, day after day. More, Lord. I need more of it. Give me your grace that I need for today. Before I ever achieved a single thing, My value was already settled on the cross. I don't have to earn a single thing today. You guys could all throw rotten tomatoes at me, and that would suck, right? But I wouldn't come away like one iota less valuable than I was when I walked in because my value was settled on the cross. I have nothing to earn. And for those of you that are in Christ, neither do you. We desire to live a a, a life marked by the rest of God, We need to learn to live a life marked by the grace of God. Kim, can you go get the children's church and bring them back in? We're gonna move into a time of communion because as the text says, on that night, Jesus took the bread out of the Walmart bag. I had everything else ready. I forgot. They are. I washed them right before. You know I'm always the one breaking the bread, right? Even if you come in and it's already broke, I broke it. But he broke the bread and he gave thanks. And he says, "This this bread represents my body broken for you. And then he poured the wine and he said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. Some of you in here may need to accept that initial gift of grace for salvation. Maybe you're here because your wife has made you come. Maybe you're here just because you thought going to church more would do it or hanging around Christian people would do it. It is only in our personal receiving of His grace. I'm a sinner. There is nothing I can do to make my way to God. Actually, the more I try, the deeper I dig the hole. God, I need your grace. Would you come and rescue me from the kingdom of darkness and bring me into the kingdom of light? God, I am so tired of working, of trying to earn your favor, of trying to be enough. I can't. Would you come and save me? Some of you need to receive that initial grace, and there is no time like this morning to do it. Some of you, need to do some repenting this morning. Lord, I received your initial gift of grace, but I've been trying to earn it since then. I've been trying to make you proud of me. I've been trying to build up my own worth and go, see God, aren't I worthy now? Which honestly is a slap in your face. I need to receive again your grace this morning. The grace that I've been meant to burn like a 74, 747 on takeoff, would you help me to receive your grace and your rest today? And this all comes through the cross, through what has been purchased for us at his expense, not ours. What is a free gift, his broken body and his shed blood on our behalf. So as we come and take communion here this morning, let it be a reminder of not grace given just that one time on that one day when I prayed that one prayer but the grace that is readily available for me right now today. That he desires to pour out on me more than I could ever even hope to receive. Let us come in thanksgiving for that. I and some of the elders will be over here for prayer during this time. If you are in here and you go, you know, I've been kind of playing at it for a while, but I've never received Truly that gift of grace for my salvation. Please come. We would love to pray with you. If you find yourself here and you go, you know, I'm in a season where I'm just restless. I've been trying to earn for so long and I just want to set it down. I just want to receive his grace. Please come. Let us pray over you. This is always open. Uh, If you are sick and in need of prayer or or anything else, please make use of this during this time. Here is my hope as the author of Hebrews says, is to walk with you into the the throne of grace. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. This was written to believers, not going, hey, you should have already received it, but hey, let's walk together again boldly into the throne room of grace to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Does this make sense, church? I'm gonna invite the music team to come up and we're just gonna take a moment in silence and just prepare our hearts for communion this morning.